Welcome to the Arthroscopy Association's Arthroscopy Journal podcast. The views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of the Arthroscopy Association or the Arthroscopy Journal. Welcome, everyone. I'm Dr. Clay Nelly from the San Antonio Orthopedic Group. Today, I have the privilege of speaking with Dr. Christopher Camp, an assistant professor at the Mayo Clinic. Dr. Camp was an author on a paper entitled Factors That Increase the Risk of Infection After Elbow Arthroscopy, Analysis of Patient Demographics, Medical Comorbidities, and Steroid Injections in 2,704 Medicare Patients, which was published in June 2017 in the Arthroscopy Journal. His co-authors include Drs. Kansian, Deegan, Dines, Alchek, and Werner. Dr. Camp, thank you for joining me. Thanks so much for having me, Clay. Really appreciate it. So let's jump right in. Can you tell me what you think is kind of the main takeaway and the biggest biggest thing that you want our listeners and readers to take away from the article? Sure. I think the, the big take-home messages for this are that elbow, uh, infections do occur after elbow arthroscopy. We sort of knew that, but finally we have sort of a large study to demonstrate that. But more importantly, not only do they occur, but there are multiple factors that are predictive of infection. So I think that's the main take home. If, if people can be aware of what these factors are, then I think they'll have a much better understanding of what the risk is that they may be getting themselves into before proceeding with elbow arthroscopy. Yeah, that's great. You know, I think we, like you mentioned, you alluded to, we have a big registries almost kind of, you know, previous studies with shoulder and knee, but this is one of the bigger ones that we've seen in the literature and the elbow, which is nice to have and kind of have an idea of what those specific factors are. Did the results surprise you in any way or was it kind of pretty much what you expected? Uh, a little bit of both, to be honest with you. You know, I we we knew that the infection rate, well, we knew and we hoped that the infection rate would be low. There's been a few smaller studies that have shown that. And fortunately, the infection rate was pretty low, hovering around that 2% mark, which is good news. And we, we assumed that there probably would be a couple factors that may increase that risk, but we were really surprised by how many were predictive and the magnitude to which they increase the risk of infection. So the, the main, main factors in the study were, were things that have really been consistent across other studies and have, have demonstrated sort of a generalized increased risk for infection after any, any surgery. Things like increased age, obesity, tobacco use, alcohol, diabetes, inflammatory arthropathy, those sort of things. So it, it's none of those factors in and of themselves are surprising. But it was kind of shocking to see how significant some of them increased the risk. So, for instance, uh, a strong history of alcohol use and abuse increased the risk by a factor of fourfold. And there were several other factors that increased it by, by a factor of three. So having inflammatory arthritis or hypercoagulable disorder or steroid injection at the time of surgery all tripled the risk of infection. So I think that was that was kind of the surprising thing for us. We didn't expect it to be quite that significant. Yeah, that's definitely surprising, some of those things. Uh, you know, there's some of the literature that's come out, and, and, and you've been part of it even in the shoulder, with increased risk of infection or increased risk of failure after rotator cuff repairs with steroid injections in particular. But but certainly the alcoholism and some of those other medical comorbidities seem like it was a little bit of an increased uh, risk factor in this particular study than in maybe the knee arthroscopy studies or even some of the shoulder arthroscopy studies. Is there anything particular any reason you think that is or something, anything different about the elbow or just because that was a little bit of a unique, some of those were unique findings for sure? They were. Yeah, Clay, I agree. I, th I think a couple of things. So one, you know, we've always paid a lot of attention to infection after joint arthroplasties. Obviously, when you have metal and plastic in a joint, you get an infection. It's a really big deal. 
and we've had high volumes um, of those types of cases to study. So we've known that for a long time. But infection after arthroscopy is obviously relatively rare, so it's been tougher to study. But in recent years, fortunately, we've had access to these large databases, which are helping us to answer those questions. So I think we're we're just now starting to uncover this. And as you mentioned, a lot of these things are risk factors after uh, arthroscopy in any joint. So now it's been shown for the hip, the shoulder, the elbow, and the knee, as well as the ankle. Uh, the elbow, I think, may be a little bit unique. It has a few more factors than, than we would have expected, and, and it could be something intrinsic to the elbow itself or maybe even the procedure. I think the elbow is a little bit different than, um, than some of the other joints uh, for, for in a variety of ways. One, there's a little bit smaller soft tissue envelope around the elbow than there is with the shoulder or the hip, and that may put it at increased risk for infection. Also, I think elbow arthroscopy is, is a reasonably difficult procedure compared to the shoulder or the knee, or at least it's less common. So there's a good chance that maybe elbow arthroscopies uh, could, could take a little bit longer, have a longer operative time, which could be contributing uh, to that as well. Um, and then also I think uh, a lot of people maybe aren't, aren't as familiar with, or aren't uh, as aware of the fact that it, uh, elbow infections do occur after elbow arthroscopy. So maybe they aren't aware of some of these factors. So they may be are more likely to uh, do surgery on patients with these risk factors, not knowing that there was an increased risk of infection because until the, until the study, we really didn't have an idea. So the demographic of patients getting the procedure may be a little bit different than those other joints as well. So there's a few things that I think may make it uh, slightly different than some of the other joints that we've studied. That's great. Um, kind of along those lines. So do those things, has, have those things changed the way you or your partners or your co-authors have practiced it all or the way you approach certain patient populations when, you, when you're looking and evaluating them for an elbow arthroscopy? Absolutely. Really two big changes for me in my practice. So the, the number one has been the steroid injections. I think for a long, long time, our hip and knee arthroplasty colleagues have said no elective surgery after a steroid injection. Usually they use a three-month cutoff. We, we haven't been that strict in the arthroscopy world until recently, and now for me, with all the recent studies that have come out, I, I defer any elective arthroscopy for three months after a steroid injection as well. Um, and so I, I do that. I, I do not inject steroid at the time of surgery. Um, so those are, those are changes for me in terms of the steroid uh, situation. And then for the other factors, all of the demographic and the medical comorbidities, a lot of these are not modifiable. So diabetes, inflammatory arthropathies, hypercoagulable disorders, not much you can do to modify that or increased age. So I think that this study is just helpful in counseling patients and telling them what the risk is to make sure that I'm aware and that they're aware. So that way we're both more informed going into the procedure. So it's helped in that regard. And then for the modifiable risk factors, the alcohol use, the tobacco use, and the obesity, that, I think this opens up a door and lets you have a very frank discussion with patients to let them know, hey, that these are some factors that could potentially be modified that if, if fixed, may lower your risk of having a complication after surgery. I think it's very powerful. Not only is it informative, but oftentimes it can give patients a little bit more motivation they need to, to help change some of these habits. So those are the things that this study has done for me and my practice. And I think it's been very helpful for both me and my patients in that regard. Absolutely. That's terrific. I think 
And one of the things one of the things I took away from the study is just along those lines, as you alluded to, patient education is such an important thing, even for something that maybe some of us or some people would sometimes consider routine, such as a quote unquote basic arthroscopy, whether it be the elbow or the knee or the hip or the ankle or the shoulder. And I think, you know, obviously we're all we've always known that these comorbidities make a big deal, you know, make a difference. And patient education is obviously always vital, but it's nice to have some of these studies that now say, okay, this is truly a major difference. And this is really important to think about and discuss directly with, you know, our patients beforehand, because it can make a big difference. I I agree completely. And I I think it's becoming more and more important as we see, we know shoulder and, and knee arthroscopy are extremely common. Elbow arthroscopy is less common. However, it is being performed with a greater frequency year after year. There's more and more elbow arthroscopies being performed. So I think as that trend continues, this data becomes much more important as even though the infection may be relatively rare, around 2% of the time, if we're doing more and more of these cases, we're going to end up seeing more infection. So I think as, as we continue to evolve and advance the practice, uh, that, that this is going to become more pertinent and, and more helpful. Absolutely. How do you think along those lines, how do you think this research or have you guys piggybacked off this research at all? Or how will, how will this research guide future studies and, and future research in, in regards to elbow arthroscopy in particular? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think the next next thing is to say, well, what now we now we have the information. What can we do about it? Are, can we start to look at some of these factors that are modifiable and maybe improve them uh, and see if that reduces the risk? So if we if we can help the patients get better weight control, limit their tobacco and alcohol use, does that lower the risk? Or if we can help them get better glucose control for their diabetes or calm down the inflammatory arthropathy, those sort of things. So so are there things that we can do to help move the needle here in terms of lowering that risk and help get these patients uh, ready ready for surgery to have a lower risk profile? And also, I think we probably need to look a little bit deeper into the actual surgery itself. Not all elbow arthroscopies are the same. Some may be simple loose body removals that take, you know, 10 to 15 minutes where others could be a, a complex arthroscopic osteocapsular arthroplasty and debridement that, that could be a couple hours. So and I think the risk profile is probably different for those two procedures. So I think another next step would be sort this out by specific procedures so we can get much more granular data and be even more informative for ourselves and our patients. Yeah, absolutely. Certainly, I think that's a great point. Procedure stratification could definitely make a big difference, uh, particularly as you alluded to with elbow arthroscopy, because uh, it's certainly not one that maybe is quite as common as, as you mentioned, knee and shoulder. And certainly the risk stratification based on procedure could potentially make a make a difference um, as well. Um, so that's that's a that's a great point. Um, any last minute thoughts or any kind of concluding thoughts uh, about the article or just your experience and with your co-authors and and publishing the article in general? No, I think this is a this this study sort of highlights the power of of database research. One of the things I took away from it is, you know, database research certainly has a number of limitations, which a lot of them are outlined in in this study. However, it can be powerful when you ask a question that's difficult to answer otherwise. So so in this case, it's really hard to find this high a volume of cases without doing a database type study. So. I think that uh, that that's one take-home message, and also I think when doing these types of of studies, it's very important to very clearly define the question you're asking, and what your definition of success and failure is, or infection and non-infection. So I think if we can do those things, if we can ask the appropriate questions, and we can appropriately define our outcomes, then I think that these databases can be very powerful tools 
but also they, they certainly have their limitations and, and any conclusions have to be interpreted um, in that light. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing your thoughts uh, today, Dr. Camp. Dr. Camp's article, Factors That Increase the Risk of Infection After Elbow Arthroscopy, Analysis of Patient Demographics, Medical Comorbidities, and Steroid Injections in 2,704 Medicare Patients can be found in the June 2017 issue of the Arthroscopy Journal or online at www.arthroscopyjournal.org. Dr. Camp, thank you for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. This concludes this edition of the Arthroscopy Journal podcast. Please join us next time. Thank you.